Hello, and happy day. How does slowing down sound to you today? Would you like to reduce the noise for just a bit? Are you ready to make a choice and decide to listen? My name is Igor, SF Walker. I'm here to remind people to slow down, to reduce the noise, to walk their lives into a natural flow. Welcome back to the Book of the Week series. Every week, as I read another amazing title, I share it with the world. And today, we look at becoming bulletproof. Protect yourself, read people, influence situations, and live fearlessly. By Evie Pampuras. Without being told, we already know that when it seems like the world is ending, being willing to help others is the antidote to fear. And this is the first step toward becoming bulletproof. Survival is about mastering yourself and your fear response. Being able to think and act while keeping your panic at bay. Being able to navigate your mental and physical response to fear is your number one survival skill. It can also be the best ally you have in any intimidating situation life throws your way. Managing your fear requires a deliberate act of courage. It is a choice that you make and it is one that everyone is capable of making. The best way to manage fear is preparation. It isn't hiding from the things we are afraid of. It is facing them head on, taking responsibility for our own safety and giving ourselves the tools and knowledge we need to manage any situation that might come our way. It's about confidence, personal strength, and self-sufficiency. Our fears are tailor-made for each of us. Some fears are handed to us by our family and our culture some just show up in our minds with no explanation, while others are a result of a traumatic situation or an experience. If you want to be capable of facing conflict and crisis without falling apart, you must first understand yourself, your fears, and then strategize how to best manage them. Fear is a healthy and a natural response to a perceived threat. On the other hand, panic causes us to lose control of our faculties. When we panic, we can't think, we can't reason, we can't process or plan. And under extreme circumstances, panic is likely to kill you faster than whatever it is that you are afraid of. If you've ever experienced a panic attack, heart beating rapidly, hyperventilating, trembling, feeling like you're about to die, then you understand. We are born with two kinds of fears, hardwired into our system for survival. Two fears that scientists called innate. The fear of falling and the fear of loud sounds. Beyond those two, all other fears are learned fears. The more awareness we can get over our orientation to fear, the more we can claim agency and autonomy 
over our lives and our choices. There are two types of regrets. The regrets we have after doing something and those that come from not doing something. All the regrets for our actions are often psychologically agonizing at first. They do diminish over time as we either do begin to justify how they happened or find meaning in why they did happen. Inaction, on the other hand, is something we hold on to wishing we could turn back the clock and do things differently. Research shows that far more people regret actions that they didn't take than the ones they did. Even if they later come to see a certain past act as a mistake. Mental armor acts as a psychological barrier that insulates against destructive people and situations that might otherwise infringe on you with their toxicity. Mental armor, a protective shield that you put between yourself and the outside world. Your mental armor is an internal firewall against the harmful words or actions or others that might otherwise undermine or diminish you. Developing this kind of a shield gives you agency. It allows you to choose what you want to take in and what you want to keep out. Step one, expose, identify stressors that you can introduce into your life to help you strengthen your mental armor. Do not jump off the deep end here. Remember, you should start small, but these should be uncomfortable. Step two, experience. Observe and take note of your fight, flight, and freeze response. Study yourself under these conditions of heightened stress to learn all that you can about your natural reaction to the stimulus. Did you freeze up? Did you feel the sudden urge to quit or run away? Did you experience rejection or failure? Step three, adjust. After analyzing your responses, identify areas where you want to make adjustments. What can you do differently to help you achieve a desired result? Perhaps you want to spend more time on your preparation and planning. Step four, overcome. After you've identified what worked and what didn't, choose one area to really focus on and correct. Don't overwhelm yourself by trying to fix everything in one fell swoop. It is too much of a mental load. The idea is to keep tasks both manageable and attainable. And step five, repeat. Repeat steps through one, one through four. Having strong, strong mental armor requires repetition, so you must keep at it. It's not enough just to attain it. You must also maintain it. One of the first strategies for building mental toughness is taking inventory of who you surround yourself with. Do you feel mocked or diminished by those in your social circles? Are the people closest to you good for your well-being? Are they supportive of your decisions, but stern and honest when they feel you're heading down the wrong path? How do you feel about yourself after spending time with certain people? Do you feel energized and good about yourself or do you feel disheartened and depressed? It is vital for us to honestly assess every person in our circle 
and decide whether or not they're truly a friend or a foe. Your goal should never be to fight every battle. Rather to be selective and thoughtful about which battles to fight and why. And to avoid pointless confrontation whenever possible. It has nothing to do with being weak or being afraid. It is about controlling your emotions and being intelligent and calculated in how you handle certain individuals. If you confront every opponent with aggression, you become predictable. Your emotional reactions will become transparent. And ultimately, you will be perceived as common as the fools you deal with. The key is to be able to determine when it makes sense to fight and when it makes sense to walk away. Assessing your environment when you go somewhere is key to protecting yourself. We call this situational awareness. The intent is to recognize dangerous behaviors and make ourselves fully present in our surroundings. Becoming bulletproof is becoming present. Situational awareness is more important to your personal protection than learning how to handle yourself in a fight. If you're aware of your surroundings, odds are you won't need to fight. The Defense Department has designed training to help Marines hone their precognition skills. Even if we don't fully understand why or how this intuitive sense emerges, it is widely accepted by the military and scientific community as indisputable fact. Pay attention to your feelings and sentiments around people. Who are you drawn to? Who are you repelled by? What does your gut tell you to do? Whatever feelings you notice, good or bad, believe yourself. Embrace this special gift of your sixth sense and listen to what it is telling you. Everyone has good in them and everyone has bad. Most of us try to make sure that the good outweighs the bad, which is when we do something wrong, we feel guilty about it. Some people feel this more acutely, some people less. But this is the constant balancing act we practice. In moments of stress, when we are weak, when we are insolent, when we are angry, or not thinking clearly, sometimes there can be a shift when the scales tip and the bad dominates the good. Nobody is immune from this. Most people are good people. And sometimes good people do bad things or stupid things or both. We would rather judge people by who we believe them to be rather than by their actions. Conversely, we like to imagine that one bad action can determine a person's overall character or humanity. It doesn't. Reading people means looking beyond categories and stereotypes. It means seeing people in all of their complexity and contradiction. Remember, if your goal is to accurately read someone, then it's not about you talking. It's about allowing the other person to talk and share information with you. When you are on the receiving end of a conversation, the more you receive, the better informed you will be. Let's compare words to monetary currency. 
and look at verbal economics. Verbal economics is the understanding that, like money, our words have value, and the way in which we spend those words affects our investment in our desired outcome. Spent foolishly, our return on investment will lack both substance and worth. If it's spent wisely through specific strategic planning, we will reap the benefits of our efforts. Unfortunately, rather than being calculated, we tend to use our words carelessly, without thought or any specific intent in mind, and often without awareness of their consequences. We speak just to speak, to satisfy our egos or our emotional impulses. When we fail to offer anything of value to our listener, we risk losing, losing their interest or possibly being seen as having no currency at all. How do I make someone respect me? You can't. Respect is not something that can be forced or demanded. It is a gift. If someone wants to give it to you, they will. And if they don't, they won't. That is it. Yes, your words are your most powerful weapon, but when it comes to commanding respect, sometimes it's best to hold your silence and simply show the world who you are through what you do. At times, though regardless of what we do, there will be people who do not respect us. We can prove ourselves over and over again, and they'll never change their mind. The right question is usually more important than the right answer. Plato, the best way to ask open-ended questions is by using the acronym TED. Stands for tell, tell me how your day was. Tell me of your thoughts on this partnership. Explain, explain what happened. Explain to me what is important to you and your company and describe. Describe your meeting with your boss. Describe your concerns with the situation. TED, tell, explain, describe, is also a great tool because it allows you to phrase questions in a neutral way without assuming how someone is going to answer that might lead a person to a particular direction with your own biases and expectations. So avoid leading questions. Avoid compound questions and avoid assumptive questions. <clears throat> Proxemics, which is the study of space between people, is critical to understand because we psychologically own the immediate space around us. It's okay to confront someone who has entered into it without an invitation, though I'm not telling you to be a jerk about it. I'm telling you that you shouldn't feel wrong for pointing out the obvious, especially as a preemptive way to protect yourself. Number one, intimate space. Direct contact up to 18 inches. This distance is reserved for only those we are most intimate with, such as lovers, close family members, and children. Personal space, 18 inches to four feet. This distance is shared with our close friends and family members. Social space. Four feet to 12 feet. This distance is for strangers, people we just met, and acquaintances, and then public space, 12 feet or more. 
the distance is best for giving public speeches or interacting with an audience. During a pre-fight interview, then heavyweight champion Mike Tyson was asked if he was worried about his opponent who was preparing for the fight against him. Tyson's response to this question was, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. So be able to adapt. Please do help out. It is easy. Simply like this video so more people can enjoy it. Share too and spread the word. Leave a comment and share your thoughts. Subscribe to my channel and stay up to date. And the link to this book is in the description below. So buy it and read. Never stop learning. Thank you. Love and respect.